This week in KMA Land, Page County faces potential lawsuit on wind ordinance changes. Supervisors approve Pioneer Park renovations. Armstrong announces supervisor re-election bid. Essex School Board acts on major projects. Hepburn discontinuation completed. And Montgomery County supervisors make budget moves. I'm Mike Peterson. This week's episode of As the Turbine Turns dealt with possible litigation regarding proposed changes in Page County's Wind Energy Ordinance. During its regular meeting Tuesday morning, the supervisors continued discussions on potentially amending Ordinance 2019-2 regarding wind energy conversion systems. The discussion comes after Invenergy submitted its application for its Shenandoah Hills Wind Farm project last Monday. Supervisor Jacob Holmes proposed a handful of changes to the ordinance, most notably the setbacks. Currently, the county has a 1,500-foot setback from its foundation of an occupancy. However, Holmes is now suggesting a distance similar to Worth County, which is based on the turbine's height from the property line. I just picked the number as between the two numbers because a lot the one kind is like 3.75 or whatever is what Worth County is, which the times the height makes a lot of sense. If they build short turbines, they won't need very big setback. No. They won't have to. If they have some turbine that's 30 foot tall, they don't need probably a 1,500 foot setback. So I put in there 3.5. I said each wind turbine a meteorological tower shall be set back from the property line a distance no less than 3.5 times total height or 1,500 feet, whichever is greater. Other proposed changes by Holmes, along with several public commenters in attendance, included a specific height limit, a maximum of 55 decibels during the day and 35 at night, the use of a third-party inspector to ensure the ordinance is followed, and the use of aircraft detection lighting systems, or ADLS. However, the discussion of changes was put on hold when Page County Attorney Carl Songson informed the board of a similar situation in Hardin County. Songson says the county is currently in litigation with the same law firm representing Invenergy regarding wind energy conversion systems ordinance changes. Songson says a developer had expressed interest in parts of Hardin County for a wind project in 2017, and the Hardin County Board of Supervisors approved changes to the ordinance in August 2020. Which substantially changed setback distances. And in talking to their county attorney, they also did a few things like we've suggested here today, which is provide some additional protections for parks, uh, nature areas, um, so they made that change in August of 2020, September of 2020. Uh, RWE Energy filed a four-count petition, and there's been this litigation that's gone on about a year. It's currently set for trial in April. Additionally, Songson says Page County has received a letter from the law firm representing Invenergy, which he says should be considered a threat of litigation, prompting his suggestion to work with Allers and Cooney, who has also assisted Hardin County in their ongoing litigation. Maria Brownell, who apparently is the lead attorney on this litigation. And so I've, what I had suggested, I know when I talked to uh, Jacob about this and Alan also, is that we received another letter from Mr. Dublinsky Friday, and I forwarded it to all the supervisors. And I would kind of view that as potential or threatened litigation. And my suggestion was um, that we go into closed session on the 22nd to discuss that with Ms. Brownell. However, Songson says the Hardin County attorney felt more comfortable with their ongoing litigation as RWE Energy hadn't fulfilled a key step before the changes were made. There hadn't been any sort of application made by the wind energy company there. Uh, it was still sort of speculative in a sense. So they were thinking that in terms of this vested rights issue that's before the court there in Hardin County, that uh, 
that's kind of the fighting issue. Have the rights vested in this developer based upon this ordinance that's in place. Ultimately, the board tabled any changes to the wind energy conversion systems ordinance until after speaking with legal counsel intended to take place in closed session at its next regular meeting, March 22nd. Final renovation work is set for Page County's Pioneer Park. At that same Tuesday morning meeting, the supervisors approved the use of American Rescue Plan Act, or ARPA, funds for final renovation work to the pond at Pioneer Park. After initial bids came in much higher than anticipated, Page County Conservation Director John Schwab informed the board his department had taken on the task of renovation nearly two years ago. Now, he says they are nearing the final stages. Pretty much we've got everything done now to where we're down the last four steps. We need to burn off the vegetation patch the pipe, redo the shoreline, and then dredge the pond. Um, we've bought a dredge for within, within the department, so we'll be able to cover that. Um, the problem that we're at is when it comes to the shoreline, re-rocking it, armoring it, and reshaping it. Schwab says renovations started after the county lost the pond and is a fishery due to its shallow waters, preventing the Iowa Department of Natural Resources from restocking the fish. Schwab asked the board for $40,000 in ARPA funds, which would cover the costs of the work needed on the shoreline. After looking in his department's anticipated projects for this year, Schwab emphasized that this was his largest project that would serve as a test run for similar but more extensive projects in the future. I mean, in complete transparency, Pierce Creek has the same issues that Pioneer has. Mm -hmm. It just pierces on a much larger scale. Mm -hmm. um, and Pioneer is kind of with our new dredge and everything. It's going to kind of be the test run. Um, so if we can get in there and, you know, really learn our dredge, we won't be able to dredge all of Pierce Creek, but we'll be able to get a lot of it. Um, that's kind of our, our other big project right now is going to be Pierce's watershed. Supervisor Chair Alan Armstrong says he had talked with a member from the ARPA Advisory Committee who says he didn't have any negatives on the proposal. They just weren't sure if it was necessary to do, but yet they didn't have any negatives. They just didn't know if, if the outdoor use would be the perfect use but but they weren't against it okay. you know they just weren't sure and i we discussed it quite a bit and um, i know where the park has been used over the years it would be a real blessing following the board's unanimous approval schwab says the local contractor could begin work on the shoreline in roughly 30 days we know of at least one candidate running in this year's elections in Page County. Republican incumbent Alan Armstrong Tuesday returned his nomination papers to run for the 2nd District Supervisor's GOP nomination in the June primary. Armstrong was appointed to the post upon Jim Richardson's resignation in 2017 and was elected to his first full term in November 2018. Armstrong told King of May News he's running for his second full term to see some important projects completed, including a possible new jail in the county. We've discussed this for several years, and we've become more involved in the planning and the planning of it. We're working with a, a group of people that are doing some design work, doing some projections, doing some of the work for us, and it's something that I would like to see that we continue moving forward on and not let that slip to the back burner, so to speak. Armstrong also hopes to work with the county safety committee to continue progress in addressing safety issues. Safety, as everyone knows, is not only important for the employees, but it also helps save us on our uh, insurance basis. And that's one of the big factors that I 
continue to strive for is to help us save dollars there where we can. Armstrong is expected to be challenged by Todd Maher, whose intentions were announced at a GOP caucus in Shenandoah back in February. Candidates have until March 25th at 5 p.m. to return their nomination papers to the Page County Auditor's Office. Big decisions on some big projects highlighted Wednesday night's Essex School Board meeting. By unanimous vote, the board approved a plan for renovation of the East Gym facility. Essex School Superintendent Dr. Mike Wells told KMA News the $1.4 million project entails turning the venerable gym into a dual-purpose facility for use as a fitness center and as a location for family and community gatherings. So the stage would be redone, the building would have all new electrical plumbing, There would actually be a a large fitness center there. There would be a resurfacing of the gym, a new kitchen, uh, all new restrooms. Um, It would be a total revamping of the building. Wells' fundraising efforts, including grant writing and public donations, would cover roughly half of the project's cost. A team of 10 staffers and community members would oversee fundraising activities. December 31st is the deadline to complete those efforts. The remaining costs will be covered by a bond issue referendum and a special election in March 2023. Wells says the bond issue would not impact taxes. As we looked at our budget last night, our management fund and our cash reserve levies, next year we'll be able to roll those back. So really... If the community decided to do a bond issue, it wouldn't be an increase in property taxes because we are able to roll back those other two areas. So the board, they're ready to get moving with it. They're tired of talking about it. They want some action, and we're excited to to move forward, and we'll begin immediately raising funds and figuring out how we're going to fund it. Also Wednesday night, the board formally approved a land swap with Bank Iowa in which the school district acquires the bank's existing facility as the site of a future restaurant for the school's fledgling culinary arts program. In return, the bank receives a parcel of school district property to build a new facility complete with drive-up services. Wells says the deal is a win-win for both the school district and the city. Of course, you want to have nice restaurants for your people to eat in and to enjoy and also to attract people to come to your community, whether they just come over to have dinner or if they're interested in the culinary arts program. That building allows us that opportunity. Also, whatever we do, we want to have a first-class culinary program, and that building affords that opportunity for our kids. Wells says the deal is contingent upon final action by Bank Iowa and the city. Once the deal is finalized, Wells hopes renovation to the current bank building can begin this spring or summer with the restaurant's operations commencing mid to late fall. You could call it a sign of the times. A small Page County community is no longer an official community. Recently, the City Development Board approved the City of Hepburn's discontinuance and assumed all city funds. The move follows action by the Hepburn City Council at its final regular meeting in December, accepting a resolution to discontinue. Matt Rasmussen is City Development Board's administrator. Rasmussen told KMA News Hepburn officials opted to discontinue operations after no one expressed interest in running for mayor or council positions in the November general election. My understanding is that they just simply couldn't find people that were interested in participating in city government regarding, you know, they couldn't find anybody to, to be the mayor or get people on the city council. So I think that was really the ultimate factor. It's a very small city, and they just didn't have people that were interested in, uh, you know, serving on the city council or being mayor anymore. With Hepburn's discontinuance, Rasmussen says residents must contact the development board regarding any claims against the community. We filed some notices in the local paper regarding the discontinuance, just notifying folks that if they have a claim against the city, 
they can file that claim with the city development board. So we would review those claims, and uh, if they're obviously if it's a good claim um, for any kind of a financial um, claim against the city, then the city development board assumes the financial position of the former city. So we would file uh, or take care of any of those claims. In addition, Rasmussen says the county secondary roads department assumes control of Hepburn Street and infrastructure upkeep. He says the town's remaining population will also notice something else. The main thing is that they don't have local control under you know local issues that a city might typically have. Other than that, you know they're going to be under the jurisdiction of the county. So in, instead of going to their city council for relief on any given issue, they would have to go to the county board of supervisors. Budget numbers and tax levies are set for Montgomery County for next fiscal year. At its regular meeting Tuesday morning, the Montgomery County Board of Supervisors approved the county's budget for the 2023 fiscal year beginning July 1st. Under next fiscal year's budget, the rural levy is set at more than $12.16 per thousand dollars valuation and the urban levy at more than $7.71 per thousand. In providing an overview of the fiscal 23 budget, County Auditor Stephanie Burke highlighted several factors, including an increase in valuations. This year, rural valuations went up about $18 million, and the urban valuations went up about $5 million. So this indeed helps our, our budget process when we have a, a big increase like that in valuations. Other factors influencing the budget process included a 10% increase in health insurance rates, a $30,000 contribution to the county's economic development efforts, elimination of the county's mental health levy, and transfers totaling $80,000 from the county's general basic fund and a million dollars from the rural basic fund to secondary roads. However, Burke added that the county isn't the highest local taxing authority in Montgomery County. On your taxes, about 39% goes to the schools total. And that's followed by the county with 30%. Then it goes to the city, 16% and so forth. You have area schools, which is the colleges, townships, ag extension, hospital, assessor and so forth. Those are all the taxing entities. So it's important that the citizens know that where your tax money is going to and the highest is the schools. In addition, the supervisors approved compensation for the county's elected officials for next fiscal year, which entails a 7.5% pay increase for the county sheriff. Also, the county's auditor receives a 6% increase, while the county's attorney, recorder, supervisors, supervisors, chair, and treasurer get 5% hikes. The final approved rates are half of those recommended by the county's compensation board in December of last year. Staff retention and recruitment is still a big priority for the Red Oak School District. At its regular meeting Monday evening, the Red Oak School Board unanimously approved the issuance of certified staff contracts for the 2022-23 school year. Red Oak School Superintendent Ron Lorenz told the board the contracts entail a total package increase of 2.48% from the current school year or a total dollar amount of $164,375. Well, that's more than the original 2.35% increase set last year under a two-year agreement. Lorenz attributes the increase to a nearly 10% hike in insurance costs. However, the superintendent added instructors returning for next school year will receive the previously approved $2,000 retention stipend when returning contracts within 21 days of issue. Because of the increased insurance premiums, we weren't able to add anything to the base. Now, people are going to get additional salary based on the years of experience, but that $2,000 retention incentive is going to go a long way. And in fact, that that's going to provide about a 50% higher increase than they're accustomed to the past 
few years, at least three years. By unanimous vote, the board also approved issuing the bargaining support staff letter of assignments for next school year, which entails a 2.86% increase or an additional cost of almost $30,000. And the board unanimously approved assignment letters for non-bargaining and administrative staff members for next school year. Based on a market analysis conducted of other area school districts, the total package increase is more than $90,000. However, uh, Lorenz says the district must do what it can to stay competitive and retain staff. I think we're in a place now where, unfortunately, the market is hyper-competitive at this point. It's people are trying to lure, lure our folks away. And I'm afraid if we're not competitive, we're going to lose good people and we're going to struggle to find replacements. Also Monday night, the board approved an amendment to the district's teacher leadership and compensation program as a result of what Lorenz calls a strange and volatile job market. He says the amendment entails expanding the number of TLC positions and stipends and repurposing full release positions to put instructors back into the classrooms. As contractors place finishing touches on the Sydney School District's long-running construction projects, completed portions are getting rave reviews. At its regular meeting Monday evening, the Sydney School Board approved alternates to remaining construction items, including applying insulation and round exhaust ducts in the elementary building's attic at a cost of $17,000, plus time and material to insulate existing holes at the elementary facility. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Tuesday morning, Sydney School Superintendent Tim Hood said construction workers are trying to wrap up final punch list items before open house dates are set. We're trying to get the uh, flooring stuff finished up over spring break, which is uh, over Easter break. It's a Friday, Monday, Tuesday, so we're working on that right now. And then hopefully if that can get done over spring break, then try and have something open house-wise uh, sometime after that. Meanwhile, Hood says the junior senior high school's new gymatorium edition received positive feedback following the first ever performances in the facility earlier this month. The district's annual variety show celebrations and the high school musical Footloose. They love the seating, they love the acoustics of the facility, the stage area, so really, really positive comments and multiple people come up uh, and say, wow, this is really cool. This is better than we thought it was going to be. So heard a lot of those. And then we had our musical this last week on, uh, and uh, again, heard lots of uh, good positive comments from people. Sydney voters approved a $10 million bond issue for the gymatorium, CTE edition, and elementary building renovations in late 2019. Board members Monday also set the bid letting for the final piece of the bond issue projects, renovation of the district's football stadium and track. Atchison County health officials are among those still battling against COVID-19. It's been two years this month since the first COVID cases reported in KMA land. Like other agencies, Atchison County's health department has detected a recent drop in coronavirus cases. Only 12 new cases were reported between February 27th and March 13th. County Health Administrator Julie Livengood told KMA News her county has averaged five cases per week for the past three weeks, as compared with 30 cases per week back in January. Livengood says the county has come a long way in dealing with the pandemic since the county's first reported case on March 25, 2020. I feel like COVID is going to be here for a long time, and we've just been able to manage it a little bit better. Science and medicine have come a long way. So we've got those effective vaccines. We've got therapeutic COVID treatments. We're more effective with our contact tracing. We have better access to testing. So there was lots of those weaknesses two years ago, and we know so much more about the illness now and how it spreads, and that really has 
paid off. In terms of vaccinations, Atchison County continues to rank eighth in Missouri with 56% of residents completing vaccinations and ninth in the state in terms of residents receiving at least one COVID vaccine dose with 58.3. However, Livingood warns against any endemic talk as the county reported an additional death during the latest reporting period, bringing Atchison County's death toll to 24. Endemic doesn't mean that COVID is gone. It just means it's at a more manageable level. And we're likely going to see different reporting methods going on. We're probably going to rely less on those positivity rates and cases and more on other types of surveillance like hospitalization rates and amounts of viral load in our sewer shed project. And I do feel like we'll move away from testing and contact tracing to testing and treatment because that's probably going to be more effective. Vaccination clinics still take place Tuesdays and Thursdays at the Atchison County Public Health Office in Tarkio. You can call 660-736-4121 for an appointment. Members of Iowa's congressional delegation are calling into question the National Weather Service's warning system in light of this month's deadly tornadoes. Earlier this week, Iowa Congresswomen Cindy Axney and Ashley Henson sent a joint letter to Weather Service officials demanding answers and why the Weather Service's communication system malfunctioned during the tornadoes and severe storms hitting the state March 5th. One EF4 tornado killed six people as it tore a 70-mile path through Madison County. Another person was killed by a twister at Red Haw State Park near Sheridan. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Thursday morning, Axney says a glitch in the Weather Service's reporting system in Texas delayed the issuance of tornado warnings. We had a delay of up to over six minutes from the National Weather Service Dallas-Fort Worth office due to a technical issue. Unacceptable. We cannot have technical issues stand in the way of Iowan safety and well-being. You know, we, we had seven people that died. I don't know if that could have helped them. It may have had we not had a delay in that. Axney says the letter demands answers from the Weather Service and how the problem will be fixed and as soon as possible. We all know the tornado that we experienced was an anomaly in winter, but we also know that our tornadoes in Iowa are severe. And, you know, we're approaching severe weather season starting up. So this has to be done quickly. We cannot be at waiting at the expense of an office in Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, to rely on for the safety and well-being of Iowans. Iowa Senators Johnny Ernst and Chuck Grassley this week introduced a measure seeking to simplify, update, and improve forecasting technology and infrastructure. The legislation would also require the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, to review technical infrastructure problems that delayed warnings during this month's tornadoes. Attendees of future Southwest Iowa Theater Group productions will notice some big changes to its venerable theater. Shenandoah's Chamber and Industry Association Wednesday morning saluted Swiddick with a ribbon-cutting ceremony honoring recent renovations at the Park Playhouse. Money contributed to the Swiddick Board of Directors fundraising campaign provided for not only replacement of the Playhouse's seats, but other projects as well. Ski Executive Vice President Greg Connell paid tribute to Swiddick for not only the renovations, but for what it's contributed to the community and the region over the years. Since 1957, uh, you know, the Southwest Iowa Theater Group, uh, mostly in this facility that I still call the Rose Garden. <laughs> that shows you how uh, dated I am. I put on, you know, some incredible uh, array of, of uh, amateur uh, entertainment and, you know, this facility, the Southwest Iowa Theater Group, are not only a treasure 
Uh, for the city of Shenandoah, they are a treasure for all of southwest Iowa. Fundraising efforts launched in 2019 provided for installation of 135 new seats. Swiddick treasurer Sean Munsinger says the previous seats from the old Page Theater had been in place for more than 20 years. We started a campaign and, and asked for $60,000 to renovate the seats and the flooring. And then that would include some wiring because we have aisle lighting on the end seats. And it would also include nameplates would go on the name on the seats for anyone that would purchase a seat. Funding left over from the campaign provided for renovation to the Playhouse's lobby and restrooms. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us, and have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.